Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Hello, y'all, and good night. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Southern Sleep Stories with Brandon. I'm your sleep guide for the night, Brandon. And in this podcast, I'm seeking only one thing, to help you have the best night's sleep you've had. What I'll do in this show to help you sleep is to start off by setting the stage for your night's sleep, give you some relaxation techniques, then I'll read a select amount of chapters from an old book and my normal southern accent, and finally let the sleep sounds slowly fade to silence. Any ads or sponsorships that will support the show will play only after the intro and before the relaxation begins. This will help ensure there are no interruptions in your sleep. If you're a fan of true crime and would like to check out my other show, look up Music City 911 on any podcast app or YouTube. Let's make sure you're all set up for a great night's sleep. If you're listening on YouTube or a podcast app, turn off the setting for autoplay so you won't be woke by other sounds once the episode is over. Set the temperature in your house to the most comfortable for you. If you like sleeping with a fan on, turn it to your most desirable setting. Turn all your lights out. Turn your TV off. Make sure your room and surroundings are as silent as you can make them. Now crawl into bed. Make sure you're using your covers and pillow in the most comfy way possible. Now to start. Rid yourself of all your thoughts from the day. Anything bad or good that you have had happen during the day, let those fade away and instead concentrate only on these relaxation instructions. If you still have thoughts in your head, repeat slowly over and over for 10 seconds. Don't think, don't think, don't think. Now close your eyes. Take a breath in and slowly exhale. Let those previous thoughts leave your body as you exhale. Imagine yourself in the most calming 
and serene environment possible. Calm your body. Relax every part. I want you to start shutting down each part of your body from top to bottom. The top of your head and your forehead. Relax those muscles. Let yourself feel them change from tense to relaxed. Relax your eyes. Do the same with your cheeks. Feel them fall as the tension leaves them. Now relax your jaw. Let your teeth slightly separate as you do this. Now let your shoulders drop as low as possible. And while doing that, let your arms, hands, and fingers all relax and loosen. Take another breath and think about your chest calming as you exhale slowly. Now relax your stomach, your legs, your knees, and your feet all the way down to your toes. Now that you're fully relaxed, let's listen to Evelyn. A selection of chapters from the book Dubliners by James Joyce. She sat at the window watching the evening invade the avenue. Her head was leaned against the window curtains and in her nostrils was the odor of dusty creatine. She was tired few people passed. The man out of the last house passed on his way home. She heard his footsteps clacking along the concrete pavement and afterwards crunching on the cinder path before the new red houses. One time there used to be a field there in which they used to play every evening with other people's children. Then a man from Belfast bought the field and built houses in it. Not like their little brown houses, but bright brick houses with shining roofs. The children of the avenue used to play together in that field. The Divines, the Waters, the Duns, little Keo the Cripple, she and her brothers and sisters. Ernest, however, never played. He was too grown up. Her father used often to hunt them in and out of the field with his blackthorn stick. But usually, little Keogh used to keep nicks and call out when he saw her father coming. Still, they seemed to be rather happy then. Her father was not so bad then, and besides, her mother was alive. That was a long time ago. She and her brothers and sisters were all grown up. Her mother was dead. Tizzy Dunn was dead too, 
and the waters had gone back to England. Everything changes. Now she was going to go away like the others to leave her home. Home. She looked around the room, reviewing all its familiar objects, which she had dusted once a week for so many years, wondering where on earth all the dust came from. Perhaps she would never see again those familiar objects from which she had never dreamed of being divided. And yet all those years, she had never found out the name of the priest whose yellowing photograph hung on the wall above the broken harmonium beside the color print of the promises made to the blessed Margaret Mary Alacoque. He had been a school friend of her father. Whenever he showed the photograph to a visitor, her father used to pass it with a casual word. He is in Melbourne now. She had consented to go away, to leave her home. Was that wise? She tried to weigh each side of the question. In her home away, she had shelter and food. She had those whom she had known all her life about her. Of course, she had to work hard, both in the house and at business. What would they say of her and the stores when they found out she had run away with a fellow? Say she was a fool, perhaps, and her place would be filled up by advertisement. Miss Gavin would be glad. She had always had an edge on her, especially whenever there were people listening. Miss Hill don't you see these ladies are waiting? Look lively, Miss Hill, please. She would not cry many tears at leaving the stores. But in her new home, in a distant, unknown country, it would not be like that. Then she would be married. She, Evelyn. People would treat her with respect then. She would not be treated as her mother had been. Even now, though she was over 19, she sometimes felt herself in danger of her father's violence. She knew it was that that had given her the palpitations. When they were growing up, he had never gone for her like he used to go for Harry and Ernest because she was a girl. But laterally, He had begun to threaten her and say what he would do to her only for her dead mother's sake. And now she had nobody to protect her. Ernest was dead and Harry, who was in the church decorating business, was nearly always down somewhere in the country. Besides, the invariable squabble for money on Saturday nights had begun to worry her unspeakability. She always gave her entire wages, seven shillings, and Harry always sent up what he could, but the trouble 
was to get any money from her father. He said she used to squander the money, that she had no head, that he wasn't going to give her his hard-earned money to throw about the streets, and much more, for he was usually fairly bad of a Saturday night. In the end, he would give her the money and ask her had she any intention of buying Sunday's dinner. Then she had to rush out quickly as she could and do her marketing, holding back her leather purse tightly in her hand as she elbowed her way through the crowds and returning home late under her load of provisions. She had hard work to keep the house together and to see that the two young children who had been left to her charge went to school regularly and got their meals regularly. It was hard work, a hard life, but now that she was about to leave it, she did not find it a wholly undesirable life. She was about to explore another life with Frank. Frank was very kind, manly, open-hearted. She was to go away with him by the night boat to be his wife and to live with him in Buenos Aires, where he had a home waiting for her. How well she remembered the first time she had seen him. He was lodging in a house on the main road where she used to visit. It seemed a few weeks ago. He was standing at the gate, his peaked cap pushed back on his head, and his hair tumbled forward over a face of bronze. Then they had come to know each other. He used to meet her outside the stores every evening and see her home. He took her to see the Bohemian girl, and she felt elated as she sat in an unaccustomed part of the theater with him. He was awfully fond of music and sang a little. People knew they were courting, and when he sang about the lass that loves a sailor, she always felt pleasantly confused. He used to call her Poppins out of fun. First of all, it had been an excitement for her to have a fellow and then she had begun to like him. He had tales of distant countries. He had started as a deck boy at a pound a month on a ship of the Allen Line going out to Canada. He told her the names of the ships he had been on and the names of the different services. He had sailed through the Straits of Magellan and he told her stories of the terrible Panagonians. He had fallen on his feet in Buenos Aires, he said, and had come over to the old country just for a holiday. Of course, her father had found out the fair and had forbidden her to have anything to say to him. I know these sailor chaps, he said. One day, he had quarreled with Frank, and after that, she had to meet her lover secretly. The evening deepened in the avenue. The white of two letters 
in her lap grew indistinct. One was to Harry. The other was to her father. Ernest had been her favorite, but she liked Harry too. Her father was becoming old lately. She noticed. He would miss her. Sometimes he could be very nice. Not long before, when she had been laid up for a day, he had read her out a ghost story and made toast for her at the fire. Another day, when their mother was alive, they had all gone for a picnic to the hill of health. She remembered her father putting on her mother's bonnet to make the children laugh. Her time was running out, but she continued to sit by the window, leaning her head against the window curtain, inhaling the odor of dusty cretone. Down far in the avenue, she could hear a street organ playing. She knew the air. Strange that it should come that very night to remind her of the promise to her mother, her promise to keep the home together as long as she could. She remembered the last night of her mother's illness. She was again in the close, dark room at the other side of the hall, and outside, she heard a melancholy air of Italy. The organ player had been ordered to go away and given six pence. She remembered her father strutting back into the sick room, saying, Damned Italians, coming over here. As she mused, the pitiful vision of her mother's life laid its spell on the very quick of her being. That life of commonplace sacrifices, closing in final craziness. She trembled as she heard again her mother's voice saying, constantly, with the foolish insistence, Deverin Siron, Deverin Siron. She stood up in sudden impulse of terror. Escape. She must escape. Frank would save her. He would give her life. Perhaps love, too. But she wanted to live. Why should she be unhappy? She had a right to happiness. Frank would take her in his arms. Fold her in his arms. He would save her. She stood among the swaying crowd in the station at the north wall. He held her hand, and she knew that he was speaking to her, saying something about the passage over and over again. The station was full of soldiers with brown baggages. Through the wide doors of the sheds, she caught a glimpse of the black mass of the boat, lying and beside the quay wall with illuminated portholes. She answered nothing. She felt her cheek pale and cold, and, out of the maze of distress, she prayed to God to direct her, to show her what was her duty. The boat blew a long, mournful whistle into the mist. If she went, tomorrow she would be on the sea with Frank, steaming towards Buenos Aires. 
their passage had been booked. Could she still draw back after all he had done for her? Her distress awoke a nausea in her body, and she kept moving her lips in silent, fervent prayer. A bell clanged upon her heart. She felt him seize her hand. Come. All the seas of the world tumbled about her heart. He was drawing her into them. He would drown her. She gripped with both hands at the iron railing. Come. No. 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 It was impossible. Her hands clutched the iron in frenzy. Amid the seas, she sent a cry of anguish. Evelyn. Evie. He rushed beyond the barrier and called to her to follow. He was shouted at to go on, but he still called to her. She set her white face to him, passive, like a helpless animal. Her eyes gave him no sign of love or farewell or recognition.
Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online Masters of Social Work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.